I returned from my trip to Bumatok where I had a couple of days to prepare for my last trip of the summer, a two-week-long excursion up north to Sapa and Hanoi. This two-week trip would prove to be the adventure of a lifetime anyone could ever ask for. Hanoi, the historic capital of Vietnam, is known for its rustic northern cuisine as well as old temples, monuments, and ancient lakes. Sapa, the picturesque small town near Lao Cai and the border of China, is known for its staircase rice plantation valleys, tribal villages and their art as well as natural sites to behold, such as waterfalls, bamboo forests, tall mountains, and green lush canyons. Upon landing in Norba International Airport, I was taken to the middle of Dafin village in Sapa where a moped awaited me. Over the first several days of the trip, I embarked on a moped at Highland adventure that spanned over 19 districts, over 400 kilometers, and over 20 combined total hours. This episode will be different from our episodes. This episode is a descriptive introduction of Sapa. Welcome to the first of three episodes in Sapa of the Vietnamese Narrative Podcast. The Mopa is undoubtedly one of Vietnam's most iconic symbols. Perhaps it makes sense that the Mopa is Vietnam's main mode of transportation, covering 85% of the total number of vehicles in the country. On the road every day throughout the country are 80 million motorcycles, far outnumbering cars. The Vietnamese narrative that I'm exploring wouldn't be complete without the presence of the ever-so-humble Mopen. Sitting on the back of one, you can feel the wind coursing through your hair, breathe in the fresh air and experience the thrill of the movement, the revving of the engine, and the curvature of the turns. Looking at Sapa from the perspective of a moped, one can get an on-the-ground, literally and figuratively, perspective of their surroundings. Around 6.30 a.m. in the morning, the fog was still set as the sun began to turn the bluish shade of, my, of the sky brighter. I was putting on my helmet, wrapped my camera around my neck, and putting my shades on to prepare for an adventurous day out in Sapa. From a homestay in the middle of Davin village, I rode my motorcycle onto an uphill road. I decided to take a detour through the village instead of a direct road onto the mountain pass that led straight to Sapa Central. The area I was staying in was one of the most beautiful villages in all of Sapa, known mostly for its ancient cave formed from eroded limestone, which forms beautiful stalagmites as rock fixtures. Surrounding it was a lush arboreal bamboo forest that almost forms a green curtain, filtering the incoming sunlight. I first explored the cave when there were scarcely any tourists. A local tour guide was also scouting the area and offered to take me in. I parked my motorcycle just off the opening of the cave. Inside the cave were droplets of water that come through the dissolving rocks. A string of lights was hung on the rock walls to lead us in. The first several steps looking out from below the cave looked like the gates to heaven, a bright shiny hole in the middle of a, back of a black abyss. The further I went down the slippier the rocks, but the more spectacular the rock formations on the ceiling of the cave are. Spiky, shiny stalagmites point sharply down at me, and the tour guide reflected the light from my spotlight. She explained that the caves formed several hundred years ago and, and were here when the first people inhabited the area. The cave was left mostly untouched until local government decided to hang lights for tourists. The surrounding area was unaffected. 
I climbed out of the cave and continued my journey exploring the village before embarking on Central Saba. The area I was staying in is mostly inhabited by people of the Yaoda tribe. They are the original peoples who inhabited the area before Sapa was officially even declared a town or territory. Around Sapa, several different tribes inhabit different areas. Some tribes include Gen, Hmong, Tai, Yai, Safa, and more. I rode my motorcycle through tiny brick roads that weave through staircase rice plantations and cornfields on sloping hills and through traditional Yao houses. Along the way, I saw small children running around the fields and jumping into local streams by the side of the road all naked. Older kids were plowing the rice plants early in the morning wearing huge farming boots, shorts, and their school t-shirt. Their parents were also there too, harvesting the little seeds from the rice plant that would eventually be turned into the rice. A rooster sang its morning tune, letting the village know that the sun is up and a new day was about to begin. It was normal for kids to help their parents plow the fields before going to school. After all, most of the village people in Sapa depend on farming for income. The elders of the village all came out onto the street from their houses with weaved colorful baskets on their backs and walked out onto the field to help bring the collected seeds back into the house. They were wearing colorful handmade garments embroidered with colorful and intricate patterns of symbols representing different aspects of the tribal components. Rice, rain, water, boy, girl, sun, and trees. The older kids returned back inside their house to change, to begin, and walk to their school for the day. From where I saw the kids, the first house I rode past was over three kilometers long. It was re- then reasonable to assume the kids have to walk long distances to go to school every day. The school gates was open to welcome the kids into school with a guard standing at the front. I heard the chitter-chatter of the excited kids as they meet up with their friends to walk to school together. Some of the older kids, around 14-15, rode motorcycles to take their siblings to school. After the kids entered school, the streets were silent once again as the village people returned to their houses for a morning meal and continued out the fields to harvest the rice seeds. The sounds of flowing water, chirping birds, and distant conversations of farmers was all I could hear as I stopped briefly and looked out at the green, beautiful staircase hills of Saba. For a moment, I felt at ease. It was calm and peaceful before my moped engine roared and broke the silence. But I continued on my journey. I returned to the big road, a stretch of highway leading to the opening of a mountain pass. It was dubbed as the famous Okwiho Mountain Pass because of the magnificent views it offered for motorcyclists during the ride. The pass, though, is steep and it takes a skilled driver to navigate the uphill slope, but along the way, I realized why I fell in love with Sapa in the first place. At about 1.3 kilometers above sea level, I stopped at an area of flat land on the side of a mountain pass, overlooking the Daffin Valley. I saw a scene that jumped right out from the canvas. Sloping mountains with clouds covering its peaks overlap under the backdrop of the bright blue sky with the sun in the distance. The mountains were striped with dark and bright green. It was as if contour lines on maps popped into life and created a a 3D landscape. Underneath me was a stream of water that descended down the mountain to form a tiny waterfall where the water hit the ground. Tree canopies and vines covered the ground like a giant green blanket, leaving a little hole where the waterfall is. My moped was there right next to me, taking in the view. 
It has probably seen better roads than the one I was on, but certainly could never top this view. Everything was so pristine, it made me wonder if I was dreaming or not. It certainly looked like something in a dream. Mother Nature has worked her magic on the landscape here in Zappa. It is simply the best of what the natural world had to showcase. The higher I rode up the mountain pass, the less of what was underneath me did I see. I was beginning to approach the cloud cover. On my side were rock formations covered in moss and vines. Some protruded off the main mountain body and arched over the road, creating a little natural alleyway. Feeling the cold breeze blowing by, I knew I was about to embark on an adventure of a lifetime. I couldn't have been any more excited. I stopped at the top of the mountain pass next to a flagpole to take in the peaks of the mountains rising through the cloud cover, and the sun ever so round and clear. Heading down the other side, I was greeted again by the rice terraces of Sapa, accompanied by a small city built on this tall hill. I can see central Sapa in the distance. A small sign which said, Welcome to Sapa Town, greeted me and my moped as we entered the city on the side mountain route, which was linked to Okwiho. From a distance, central Sapa looked like a city built on a hill with colorful houses and tall buildings poking off of the slope of the hill. As I began to enter central town limits, the city is totally unlike what I saw just before. A noisy, busy town equipped with fancy hotels for tourists, cable cars which take tourists up to other sites, multi-laned roads, restaurants, and cafes lining up every street, and a busy cultural scene consisting of traditional markets, French-era cathedrals, artificial lakes, and stone monuments. A road surrounded the artificial lake. The water service reflects red, blue, and yellow restaurants piling up upon one another on the hill, as well as the skyline of many different stacks of buildings placed next to one another. Compared to the rural scenes of Zappa, this was a rowdier, more developed side to it that I didn't necessarily expect. I rode to the center of the town, to the main square where the old stone cathedral was. The cathedral was built by the French in the early 20th century. It was the site where local battles occurred and ended, as well as where historical milestones were recorded and enshrined in the stone walls within the cathedral. Next to the cathedral was a roundabout with an ancient stone monument of local tribal heroes who led local battles to victory. Opposite the cathedral, then, was a new train station built by a tourist group which took tourists to the foot of the Fancy Pan Mountain, which was dubbed the rooftop of Southeast Asia. This was the first stop of my journey, the top of that mountain. I parked my moped at the parking lot of the Sapa Central Station and hopped on a small train that took me to the Fancy Pan Station at the foot of the mountain. Along the train ride, I saw a bird's-eye view of the entire city, tiny colorful rectangles forming an almost pixelated picture of the ground. I also saw huge swaths of green-striped hills and colorful bushes, circles of flowers of all shades and shapes and sizes, masking the gaps on the hill Sapa is built upon like wearing a bright, colorful sweater. Central Sapa looked ever the more spectacular. After about half an hour, I arrived at the Fancy Pan Station, in which I entered Southeast Asia's longest cable car. I was crammed into a cable car with a group of tourists who were part of a tour group. Children were wooing and weeing whenever the cable car rocked backwards and forwards during the journey. The cable car journey spanned over several valleys and climbed up several tall mountains. Looking down, I was in awe of the country I live in, its landscape and the powerful force that nature can really have. I was in awe of the painting, the contours, and the strokes of the rice terraces made. 
I was in awe of the vastness of the forest which covered the hills of Sapa. I was in awe of the clouds which the cable car seemed to just breeze past. I was in awe of the wind, the raindrops, and the sky. The scenes that nature paints can really make anyone in awe of the great outdoors. I arrived on top of the cable car station, on the top of the mountain. The kids rushed out to cable car as soon as they could. The station, though, wasn't really on top of the mountain. Instead, there was a short funicular train that took tourists to the peak. The train is just two cabins wide, and each trip took about two and a half minutes. I bought a ticket and went on the train to fast forward straight to the top. In the funicular, I saw traditional Buddhist pagodas and temples on the side of the top mountain as I ascended. A giant black marble Buddha statue was in the spotlight. Getting off the funicular and climbing up several staircase steps, there it was, the rooftop of Southeast Asia. A metal triangular prism marked the top of the mountain at 3,143 meters above sea level. I could only see clouds surrounding the platform upon which the prism was based upon. The wind was louder than the other tourists who were there on the platform. The flag of Vietnam was rocking with the wind. For the first time, I could say I reached the top of a mountain. When it was time to descend the mountain, I decided to walk down the staircase that was carved onto the side of the hill. On the top of a smaller peak next to Fancy Ban was a Buddhist temple complex with several small houses surrounding the main pagoda temple. The main temple consisted of several shrines dedicated to several higher beings in Buddhism. I was told they each signified a different aspect of Buddhist belief. Many tourists came to inside to offer paper, cash, goods, as well as other offerings and pray in front of the shrines as residing monks perform a sacred text reading ceremony. A wind chime hung in front of the main door and twinkled and played a beautiful melody. The pathway leading down the cable car station was lined up with shrubs of flowers and plants, creating a mini garden on the near top of the mountain. The view down is as spectacular as any, unless if you're afraid of heights. In that case, you might not want to look down. But after a trip up, I made my way down the mountain and down to Central Papa after my first stop on the top of Fancy Pan Mountain. Reuniting with my moped back on the ground, I continued my moped journey. Now that I've gone on top of the mountain, it was time to dive deep into the rice valleys that Sapa is so famous for. Sapa has several beautiful rice valleys. However, the least known and the most beautiful one is the Munghua Valley, further away from the central Sapa. Part of the reason why it is so unknown is because it's so inaccessible by most forms of transport. However, with a moped in hand, I made it a mission to get down to the valley as far as I possibly can. The majority of tourists would view the valley from the highway on the top of the hill. It wasn't as worth it as going down there myself, though. With my moped, I turned into the side road on the side of the highway that took me down to Munghua Village. The cement road was incredibly narrow, about the width of a standard door frame. At points, it was also incredibly steep as it was a twisty road of a, that outlined the contours of the hills themselves. To approach the village down below, I had to maneuver the moped through a small path crossing through a bamboo forest that virtually blocked the view of the road in front with its leaf canopies. The small road crossed through streams of water. The two sides of the roads were lined with bamboo, which is tall enough to engulf a whole house. 
A natural green doorway was created by the bamboo. It looked like a gateway to heaven. The ga- this area was mainly inhabited by the Thai and the Hmong people. Village kids ran around the bamboo fields playing tag and hide and seek behind the clusters of the bamboo shoots. Some went outside to the rice field to fly kites or simply to just sit there doing their own thing. Exiting the bamboo doorway, I found myself within the middle of a vast rice paddy. Perhaps I can be mistaken for a scarecrow if I was looked at from far away. The fields were vast and endless. I stopped briefly to take in the fresh air and the aroma of the ripe rice plant and the scent of the flowers and the sap or the milk of the plant. A family nearby was bringing their freshly harvested corn outside their house to dry it in the sun. I can hear the traditional language and dialect. Looking up at the top of the mountains, I couldn't believe that I was up there just a short while ago. The view from both above and below are certainly two different perspectives, and it was surreal to see both. I rode my mop bed at the bottom of the valley for hours among the rice paddies and the platforms that formed the contoured shape of the Ratsapa rice hills. I also saw plantations of other plants and vegetables. Corn, cabbage, susu plants, cucumbers, tomatoes, and some fruits even. The farmers on the crops were in traditional tribal costumes. They were also wearing the symbolic Vietnamese straw cone hats to cover them from the intense midday heat while plying the fields with their hoes and farming tools. On the road, too, were kids that were guiding a herd of buffaloes into a barn at the end of the twisted narrow road. The buffaloes, though pooping while on the road, were feeding on some shrubs that they found on the side of the road. They were wearing bells on their horns as well as a wooden accessory on their neck for identification. The buffaloes moved slowly but still managed to buck their horns onto the back of my moped. There wasn't any significant damage but I felt a little kick behind my back. The peaceful scene showed me a side of two Vietnam that I don't usually see on an everyday basis.
I weed through the narrow roads of the Munghua village to rejoin the highway that overlooked the entirety of the valley. I stopped to take a look back at where I had just been, and I was in awe of the two sides of Sapa I was able to see. It was early in the afternoon I had decided to return to my homestead in Dafin village and call it a day. The ride back to Dafin meant that I had to pass through central Sapa and end up on the other side of the town to Okiho Mountain Pass again. I decided, though, to take a detour on my way back, like how I did when I first departed from Dafin in the first place. There was a relatively new path that opened on the side of Suitao that traced the sides of the two mountains and crossed a particularly rocky section of mountain. I decided to take that route. Though it was a further commute, it was worth checking out because the rocky area was dubbed the Brown Wall. The reason why it was called that way is because of the mining that takes place in most of the area. This is unlike the rest of Sapa, though. I learned throughout the trip that most of Sapa is actually part of the National Nature Reserve that was protected under law. This meant that if any mining operation, deforestation, and littering, if found within the bounds of the reserve, would incur the offender a massive money fine as well as jail time. However, there were some areas within Sapa that are not protected. This area in question is rich in silver and precious metals. The road was high above the ground, but not as high as the Okwiho Mountain Pass, though. At times, barriers on the side of the road broke off, and it was a bit unnerving riding through those sections. The ground was also particularly rocky and bumpy, too. After a while, the road crossed through a gap between the peaks of the two hills, and on the two sides of the road were eroded hills that were carved by excavator machines. Stacks of rocks were on the side of the road as I passed in between the two tall brown walls almost. Hence, it was named the Brown Wall. I made my way down to Taffin Village after a bumpy and rocky ride on a detour route, though the view it offered me throughout the way was worth the trip anyways. Roads in Sapa are known to be normally picturesque, and I returned to my homestead in Taffin and called it a day. The reason why I include this description in this podcast is because Sapa is a great example of the evolving Vietnamese narrative and how the landscape has changed. Sapa is an example of a fluid mix between tradition and modernity. Tribal village culture in rural areas have been largely intact and kept away from areas that are urbanized. Moreover, the natural landscape has been protected and kept away from the potential impact of urbanization. Central Sapa is an example of the importance of tourism in Vietnam and how it has prompted modernization. From first glance, though, it may seem like Sapa is a healthy mix of tradition and modernity. However, the issue is more complex than first glances. In this Sapa series of episodes, I will explore the intricacies of village culture and break down the importance of farming and agriculture on the people here. I will also explore the perspectives of the children in the area and explore more on the importance of education. Lastly, I will explore how all these link in to the issue of tradition versus modernity and how Sapa is a perfect case study for what the future of Vietnam is currently looking like and what it can potentially be. I hope this description of Sapa has given you a brief context into what I have seen on my moped journeys and inspired you to travel to see it yourself. This is the first of three episodes in Sapa for the Vietnamese Narrative Podcast. I'll see you soon.